Hi, I'm your host, Megan Whiteside. I'm a lawyer and a mom, and I know how trying to balance the two can leave you feeling depleted and stuck. Are you ready to reframe your mindset, own your power, and set yourself up for success? You're listening to the Mom Life & Law Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Mom Life and Law. I am here with my friend and colleague, Jabine. I am so excited for today's episode. If you will introduce yourself and let the listeners know what you do. Okay, thanks, Megan. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jabina Dowie, and I'm currently the director of the Family Law Clinic at the University of Pittsburgh School of Law. Um, I, in my spare time, hopefully folks can sense the sarcasm in that, I am also the mom to two um, young, fun, ambitiously stubborn um, children, a, two, a three-year-old and a five-year-old. Um, and I live with my husband and my life partner here in Pittsburgh. Awesome. Well, I have to say for the listeners, Davina and I have known each other for a really long time. We met Just a little bit. Yes. We met in section four of our one L year mm-hmm. at American University Washington College of Law. Uh, went through law school together, navigated taking the bar, those early years of practice, the early years of motherhood, and just everything All in between. <laughs> yeah. And Jabine, you have such an interesting career journey, and I feel like you have shared with me kind of some wisdom along the way of what you've learned. So sure. prior to becoming the director of the Family Law Clinic at Pitt, mm-hmm. what did you do? So... I think the way that I would sum it up is I've spent my legal career advocating on behalf of victims of gender-based violence. Um, I've just done that in a couple of different capacities and in a few different ways, but really my, my career theme has become that. I mean, being there as a voice and an advocate for survivors of, of crime in a lot of different ways, but specifically gender-based violence. Um, so I can talk a little bit about kind of what that's looked like over the, the 10 years that we've been out of law school. I mean, it, it feels like law school was yesterday. Um, but, you know, yeah, when we think about it, it's been so long. Um, so my, my career path, like, really kind of started shaping itself in law school. I used a lot of our internships and a lot of the great opportunities that we got through the Washington College of Law to explore what did I really find myself engaging with, you know, because I, I, since one thing that's been consistent with me is that since law school, before law school, I knew that if I was going to spend 40 hours a week plus doing something, I want to enjoy it, you know, Um, I wasn't, I didn't want to work just to get a paycheck, right. Um, And so that was kind of my running theme in anything that I did. You know, is this something that I would enjoy doing every single day? So I um, I kind of dabbled in looking at international human rights and doing work on a, on a much more global scale. And I found that I really enjoyed the direct client services. You know, I enjoyed working with people on their individual problems. And so I kind of looked for jobs that would allow me to do that. Um, and so after law school, the first thing I did was I clerked for a family law judge. Um, in in Passaic County in New Jersey 
Um, that's where I'm originally from. Um, so part of my story is also kind of bouncing around the country, at least on the East Coast. And so I clerked for a year and then I came back to the DC area and I worked at a nonprofit where we represented victims of sexual violence. Um, so in this job, I had the chance to work with both children and adults. And I was all able to work on almost any legal issue that came up for them. So I dabbled in employment law, immigration law. I did protection orders. I did a lot of family law. Um, I did a little bit of housing. And so it gave me a, a good view into what it looks like to be a holistic attorney for somebody, right? Like what are the different issues that they're facing? And how can I, as their counsel, leverage my skills and knowledge and my interpersonal skills to be able to help them on their journey, right? After they've been through such a traumatic event. And um, that was such an amazing growth period for me. I mean, it was not gonna lie, it was so challenging to do that, right? Like it's hard enough to do one kind of law, but then to constantly be learning in different areas, but all for the same individual. Um, it was a, it was a, a very interesting exercise in learning how to be flexible and just learning how to learn, right? Um, so after that uh, job, I transitioned to a different nonprofit that was in, based in DC. It was called the Network for Victim Recovery of DC. And I continued to advocate for victims of gender-based violence, but here specifically, it was, here it was a little bit broader. So we were assisting any kinds of, any victims of crime in DC. And this was a really unique job because I got a chance to actually work on some systems development work. Um, so more than just the direct client representation. And in this job, I was responsible for the creation, uh, the, the planning and implementation of what became known as the Victim Legal Network of DC. So here we were looking at, hey, there's a problem in DC, right? If you're looking for an attorney at a nonprofit, good thing is you have lots of choices. I mean, a lot of people might not know this, but in DC alone, there's 36 different places, legal providers that you can go to if you have a problem as a low-income individual. And that's, in, that's crazy. You know, most places you're looking at just one organization, right? So, um, but it also created a huge challenge because if somebody was looking for an attorney, they were often engaged in like making numerous phone calls, going to different intakes, and it was just more tedious and a lot of people just wouldn't go through that process. So a large part of what I worked on was creating a better referral mechanism and a whole network structure and infrastructure where someone could walk in through literally one door and then access all of the different doors for all these different organizations. Um, and, you know, th this part of my journey is really unique because this was, a, I had started working on that project and I was litigating when I had my, when I was pregnant with my daughter, who was my firstborn. And um, I, when I went back to work after that maternity leave, there was one day where my boss kind of looked at me and she asked me, how are you doing? And I don't know what compelled me to be, super honest and transparent. I hadn't, I had never done this in a job before, but I basically said, I'm horrible. <laughs> I am so stressed out. Um, this is extremely frustrating. I just don't know how I'm gonna manage this. Um, and it was my first experience with someone who 
thought very creatively about providing me with a solution to make me happy and yet still thrive at work. Um, it was it was amazing. Like that's a moment. Like I I remember where I was standing when we had that conversation, right? Because I don't think I had ever been that authentic before, right? Um, because we're just not we're just not programmed like that. I mean, we're all going through this process of reprogramming ourselves almost, right, Megan? Like we're not programmed to just be authentic about where like life is hard, <laughs> um, and working with someone. Um, to come up with a solution, right? And so the solution at that time that my that my boss proposed to me was cutting back on my hours, stepping away from all the direct direct client representation and just focusing on the project. Um, it allowed me to, and she gave me the opportunity to be able to work from home um, and do that, you know. Um, and it was a really interesting moment in understanding the power of authenticity and the power of trust between an employer and an employee, right? And, and I recognized that I had a really good relationship with my boss and it allowed me to do those two things. And I know that not everybody has that luxury, right? Um, but, you know, I was able to step back from, from the litigation, from the intensity of running to court and meeting client demands and meeting demands of a small client at home, really, your child, right? <laughs> your primary client. Your primary client, right? And um, so I, so, you know, after after years of really focusing on being there to help the clients through their individual problems as a litigator, I stepped away and I was able to be home for my daughter and be able to still work on this project that was going to help more than just one person at a time. And I did that for a few years and we got it through the planning and the implementation of it and a pilot. And when I left um, that job, the organization, the network had 10 organizations. And now, well, like three years later, it's got over 25 organizations. So it's grown. It, it was a huge, it was a huge um, success. And it's been facilitating more and more individuals to get connected with representation when they may not have. Um, yeah, I am so proud of, of the work that they're doing and they're carrying on at, at NVRDC. Um, so, so this is kind of where, you know, my career ebbed and flowed with my, with my other the rest of my life, really, right? I started to kind of get to this place where, you know, I started to struggle with recognizing and grappling with the fact that, yeah, sometimes I might be stepping back from my work, but maybe that's not the end all be all. And during that time when I was not litigating, I had, I mean, I have to be super honest, you know, there were so many moments where I just struggled with, I'm not doing enough, right? That sense of like, Oh my God, look at all those other people. They're litigating and they have like, you know, three kids. I only have one. <laughs> um, you know, they're doing it. Why am I not doing it? Why did I have to step back? And how is this going to affect the rest of my career? And having all of those moments. Um, and, you know, that was, that was hard. I think that's uh, a really natural reaction. We're all, 
comparing ourselves to everyone else mm-hmm. around us. And we only sort of have a small window into what their lives, you know, what, what everyone else's lives are yeah. actually like. So you may have seen other lawyer moms litigating, <laughs> but you had no idea what it was actually like if they were enjoying it, if they were thriving. Right. At the time, how did you cope with those feelings or reconcile those feelings of, you know, what you expressed as gratefulness to be able to to step Mm -hmm. back, to work remotely, to work on this project that you were passionate about, but also give up that litigation because you wanted to be more present with your daughter? Um, I think the honest answer is that I didn't reconcile them very well. You know, um, it was, it was two years of me really kind of constantly grasping on to moments of external validation, Um, you know, and, you know, that was like now years later, I can look back on that and say, huh, like I can think about, I could have thought about that time very differently, you know, and and this is one of those areas where for me, the, the, my constant engagement and reflection really helps. <clears throat> because now I can draw the lessons from that moment and say, wow, what a difference would it have made if I had just had a different mindset about one career, right? Career trajectories and life trajectories as a whole. Um, because I think at the time it was, and this is probably also a byproduct of like, uh, you know, dealing with the changes and the lack of control that you have when you have a young child your first child to begin with, like, you just go through so much. I think at that time, it's challenging to have perspective, very challenging to have perspective. And I was really fortunate that I had a cheerleader, like I married my cheerleader, right? Like he is my, like, he's my rock, he's my biggest fan. And, you know, I think that everybody should find someone whether it's a friend, whether it's a family member, whether it is a mentor, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't have to be your partner, right? Someone to remind you and give you that perspective. And he was always that person, right? He was like, do you realize like how impactful this project is going to be? Like, like he would remind me and that, that would kind of keep me chugging along um, and, and give me that perspective of, yeah, you know, this we can, you can go back to that when you, when you feel ready for it. Just because you stepped away from litigation doesn't mean that that's your path for the rest of your life, you know? Um, and turns out it wasn't, right? Um, and, and that kind of, uh, towards the end of that project, I had the opportunity to, and, to apply for, and I got selected for this fellowship at Georgetown at the Domestic Violence Clinic. And, um, you know, I... There, I spent two years working with um, two other working moms, um, Deborah Epstein and Rachel Camp, who were the co who are the co-directors of the clinic. And you know, I did go back to litigation. Right, we were um, representing and training students to also represent victims and survivor, uh, survivors of domestic violence um, in civil protection order matters. And that was an area where, you know, I went through a different level of growth, right? There I was at that point then when I started that fellowship, my son was one and my daughter was about two and a half. And um, there it was kind of a, a, a different kind of a focus. I was throwing myself back into work, um, but I knew that this was a two year, this was time bound, right? It was a two year fellowship. 
so I maintained that perspective during that time. But that brought different challenges. <laughs> what was that experience like? Because, you know, so this is your your first introduction to teaching, which is a mm -hmm. new challenge. You're diving yes. back into litigation <laughs> and those early mornings in court. Now you yeah. now have not one, but two children. <laughs> what was that experience like? Um, so I think that was a rude awakening to how nice it was to be home with my kids. <laughs> And um, that that was a situation where, you know, I struggled with my daughter's struggles. She up until that point in time had mom who had been around ever since she could reasonably remember, right? I had been around, I had picked her up, I dropped her off, I wasn't working in the evenings, I didn't have meetings, et cetera, et cetera. And um, all of a sudden she was like, oh my God, where did mom go? Why is she leaving before we have to get dropped off for daycare? What is going on? Um, and it was also actually, I believe, the same time that she, um, no, she was, she was still in daycare at the time. Um, but we really kind of didn't understand that she also was transitioning through that process of knowing that mom wasn't there as much. And so as most parents can understand, that, that led to a lot of guilt, right? Like, oh my God, why did I make this decision to go back to work? Um, and that was a period of time where I really had to think through and understand. And I think that's where I started to really embrace the, the, the philosophy that life will ebb and flow. And just as much as I needed to take the time away from litigation to be home with my chi child and to be there for myself, really take care of myself for those couple of years, this was something else that I needed for myself. And this was also, again, gonna be temporary, right? I needed to take this next step. I, I needed, I wanted, frankly. I wanted this fellowship for myself. I wanted it for my career. It was such a big deal to me to be able to like actually learn from, from, the, from these two amazing professors and litigators and advocates for gender-based survivors, right? Um, and I knew that that was only gonna benefit me right then and there, but also in the future. And if that meant that I was available a little bit less at home, that was okay. And I would find ways to, to navigate that. But it was a journey. It was a process, Megan, right? Like I, I, in a lot of ways, I had to go through these difficult moments to be able to then appreciate what I had and what I didn't have. How did you grapple with those feelings of guilt at the time? Was it something where you had the clarity that you're expressing now, or is that something that came later with reflection? Um, it definitely came a little bit later with reflection, but I, I did manage to navigate it by the end of that first semester. Um, so the first semester was extremely challenging and part of the challenge was that I was an extreme, I was engaged in constant reflection at work. So the beauty in the way that, that this fellowship was, was structured was that it really gave us an opportunity to think thoughtfully about what it means to be a clinical instructor, right? How do you create a space for your students to be able to grow and thrive? And during that semester, I saw so many parallels in the learning that I was trying to engage the students in, in the learning that I was engaging in myself as a professor, right? and the learning that I was doing at home with my kids, right? Because parenting is teaching. That is literally what we're doing, right? 
um, it is about setting them up to become adults. That, that, that is what parenting is. That's our end game, right? It's, and everything that we do is with that end goal in mind. We all have this image of what we want our, our children to be like as adults, right? And so that's, that's the direction that we're taking them in. Um, that's a whole different conversation in terms of letting go of what our images of <laughs> our children. <laughs> that's, t- that's a whole conversation. You know? <laughs> but um, it's the same thing with clinical teaching and it's the same thing with learning, right? So I started to see all of that. And I also started, one of the directors that said to me, like, you'll start to appreciate the ebbs and flows of the semester, right? Like you have you have a lot of work during the semester and then you have a break and you recharge for the next one. So I held on to that. And that December break, I threw myself into planning, planning my daughter a great third birthday party. Um, I did some things that I don't think I would have ever done before, like created my own backdrop. Okay. I will own that, that I created that backdrop purely out of mom guilt. <laughs> it was spectacular, I have to say. Although I didn't go to Leali's birthday party that year because I was in you labor with my pictures. second. But yes. I heard from my husband that it was an excellent decorations. All of it looked great. <laughs> oh, my God. I remember he was there and he was talking about he's like, any moment now, like Megan's at home. So if I get a call, I'll have to go. And we're like, yeah, we totally understand. <laughs> I know. Isn't it funny the things we do as moms, right? I, I knew I was beginning labor. But it, you know, with your second, you're like, I have a bit of time. I'm having some contractions. Yeah, yeah. Take the older right. one to the birthday party, and I'll call you if it gets serious. Yeah, <laughs> and your first one, you would be like, you know, don't, don't leave, don't right. go anywhere, don't right. go anywhere, stay here. You have to be by my side. I know. Anyway, we digress. But oh yeah, I, I I've done things like that too, where it's like you have moments of extreme busyness mm-hmm. at work, and then you find right. a way to try to make something special at home. Yeah. And 100%. it's, it's, it's never going to be a hundred percent balanced. I don't think that work-life balance actually exists. And I think your story is, is illustrating. I think that. So. Yeah. I think, I think we have to recognize that it ebbs and flows, right? Like, and I, I, but I do acknowledge like that being able to give into the ebb and flow has a huge level of privilege associated with it. Right. Like I knew that I was able to step back and cut back on my hours because I had financial support from my husband, right? Like these are the realities of of the things that we navigate, right? Um, So you kind of end up in this place where you have to assess what your family dynamics are and what your support systems are to be able to decide what opportunities can you take. But I think that especially through the fellowship process, I learned the value of creativity and the openness to possibilities in your whole life. Um, the, the directors uh, had this great thing that they would do with the students where it was like, look, you can always come up with three options in any kind of a scenario, right? Like you might think, oh, you only have one option, but in reality, there's always at least one, if not two more options. I love that. Right? Isn't that like that was and and you know that was kind of a, a great gem that I watched them engage with with the students in supervision, and you know those are kinds of again these lessons that I was drawing between work and home, and I found that my parenting was benefiting from my job and my job was benefiting from my parenting. You know, yes, one is adults and one is you know toddlers, 
But when we come, when we are thinking about human nature and we're thinking about psychology and the way in which we make decisions and we think creatively about obstacles that come up in our lives, like these are things that come up regardless of how old you are, how big you are, what you're dealing with. You're just using different tools. You have different tools in your toolbox in each scenario. And with small children, what you're doing is you're developing the basic tools and, you know, when you're in elementary school as a teacher, you're adding other tools to their toolbox. Every level is different sets of tools, right? And so as a professor, I'm creating legal, critical thinking, strategic thinking skills to put in their toolbox. Um, and so I think I just really like, you know, I, I learned through the fellowship that I didn't care as much and I didn't miss the pressure of litigation, frankly. I'm not dying to go back into the courtroom. Um, but I what I enjoyed was helping the students grow. You know, seeing their growth throughout the semester. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was extremely interested in continuing clinical education. Um, but by the end of those two years, I kind of, by the end of that first year, really, um, that summer, I was trying desperately to work on a paper. And so part of the moving into academia requires engaging in research and writing. And um, with the fellowship, you know, we didn't have as much time as you normally would have to work on a paper, but it was still a critical part to get onto the hiring market and move into that process. And, um, you know, that summer was another kind of another phase of me trying to think like, you know, where, where are my priorities, right? And how do I want to balance? And I made some, I made some pretty clear choices that summer. And there were like weekends where I could spend the weekend working or I could go to the water park with my kids, you know, and, and, and I chose to go to the water park with my kids. And I knew that meant that I wouldn't have a perfect, I wouldn't have the paper where I needed it to be at the end of the summer, right? And I knew that that would affect the job opportunities that would come my way. Right. But I was okay with that. For the first time in my life, I was okay saying a no to myself and accepting, being willing to accept whatever the consequences would be that that flowed from it. So what was important about that, that that particular decision? I think it was challenging because I mean I had and I knew other people who were who were putting their all into getting the papers done, who were you know, putting their all into the market, or, you know, I, I had already gone through, um, you know, comparing myself to everybody else when I was, when I stepped back to just work on the project, right? And I stepped back from litigation. And I think this was kind of how these building blocks in life work, right? So having had the perspective of recognizing how I compared myself to others before, right? I was like, hmm, I, I didn't like that, right? And having seen that, you know what, I could take a step back and then still have an opportunity potentially come up and I kind of roll with the punches and kind of see, evaluate things as they come. I decided, you know what, I can do that here too. I've done it before. It, it was, everything was okay at the end. Was it hard? Yeah, totally. But wow, it would have been easier if I just was willing to be present with the choices that I made and enjoy the decisions and own own the decisions that I made, right? And own the potential consequences. There's a different peace of mind that comes with that. 
That's what I was just going to say that that mental clarity, that peace of mind is so helpful, right? You know, the, the choices, you yeah. know, the choices that we all make are going to have consequences. But if we spend all of our time worrying about what could have been if you had decided differently or what may or may not happen because of this decision, right? That doesn't help us have joy or happiness in the present moment. And it sounds like you were able to sort of recognize what you had been doing, you know, grappling with the decision to step back from active litigation and that prior job. And it really helped Mm -hmm. you that particular summer during your fellowship. And it also helped me realize that being an attorney and being a being an activist of change doesn't look one particular way. I walked out of law school thinking there was a I you walk out you a lot of people might walk out of law school with an image in their mind. This is actually a conversation that I have with my students right now. You know, we have a particular image in our mind of what a social advocate, what what a social justice lawyer looks like, right? You know, somebody standing up in front of a courtroom, it's really centered around litigation. Um, But litigation is like, I think through the evolution of my career, I've, I've come to understand that litigation is one mechanism for change, but it's not the only mechanism for change, right? And that change comes at a lot of different levels. So having gone through different positions and having had the opportunities that came up, at least for me, right, I was able to see that, like, I can do this in a lot of different ways, right? Um, There was something also extremely powerful that I that I heard and started to embrace um, while I while I was in, in my position at Georgetown, which was sometimes like, especially for someone like me, who's a who's a South Asian woman, I wear a hijab, like, you know, just my presence is is a level of activism. So it's just my presence as an attorney in the legal profession, right? Your existence is your resistance in a lot of ways. And so that is a phrase that I've kind of held on to because it's allowed me to embrace the fact that like, I just need to be in these spaces. Um, and I've been able to balance that with, yeah, I need to be in these spaces, but sometimes I also just need to be home. <laughs> in my pajamas <laughs> yes <laughs> you know at the water park with the kids like that's fine <laughs> well and I there's value <laughs> there's value in all of the different ways you spend your time and it sounds yeah. like you're really allowing yourself to enjoy the ways that you spend your time you know without or at least letting go of some of that guilt or that worry we all have it sometimes but it sounds like you right you've done better at at putting it at bay. <laughs> I've grown. I mean, I have, I have gone through immense stages of growth, right? And um, I, I, I don't think that I would have been here but for my experiences. And but for the ability to be able to think and draw from those experiences. Um, and, and, you know, the, the third part of that is to actually be able to allow people to mentor you along the way, right? I had some, you know, very intense real talk moments with people who guided me through of saying like, yeah, okay, I see what you're trying to do here, but this this is how it's impacting you. This is what I'm seeing happen. And have them sit and reconcile with that and be like, huh, I didn't like hearing that. I didn't like hearing that at all. <laughs> but, sitting with it and thinking about it a little bit more and being like, okay, yeah, there's some truth in that. What can I do about it? Yeah. Yeah. And now Um, you're in a position to be a mentor to students 
and sort of to do that same thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the place where I really thrive in my job is, is when I get to supervise the students, right? And help them kind of work through and, and recognize that they have so much to offer to their clients, right? And to really push upon them that these are their clients. These are not my clients. Okay. Yeah, sure. It's my bar, bar license, but these are not my clients, <laughs> right? These are your clients, right? How do you own your responsibility as a lawyer? And how do you learn from these moments? And and I'm learning along the way. Like, you know, I I am constantly in a reflective state as I move through my work, um, because that is how you grow, right? The power of reflection that we teach in clinical pedagogy and law school clinics um, is a critical critical component of growth. Because if you cannot learn from your mistakes. Right. If you cannot learn from, hey, I had a really like my circumstance, I had a really crappy mindset. Wow. (laughs) I spent a lot of time and a lot of energy, you know, spinning and feeling crappy. Wow. I don't like that. I don't want to do that again. What is a different mindset that I can take? I love that. I love that. And I think that applies to all of us, no matter what our career path is, you know, mm-hmm. whether we're in active litigation or not practicing law anymore, you know, just yeah. that reflection on your mindset can make such an impact on your success and your happiness. Uh, and, you know, life's too short to be miserable all the time. Oh, my God, it really is. And it's such a hard balance between like, uh, you know, recognizing that, you know, you you don't want to you don't want to live in despair you don't want to live in misery but at the same time also recognizing that you know sometimes that happens and it's going to be okay but you kind of just have to like feel like crap for a little while um you know so i think that i've really gotten to a place where through it it's really been this this amazing combination between teaching and parenting right where in an effort to get myself to a place that I can be a better parent and to be a better professor, right? To be a better mentor, you know, I've had to do a lot of work on myself um, because you cannot, the, the, that concept doesn't work, right? To be like, oh, just do what as I say and not as I do um, because you are not then genuinely in it with either your children or your students or frankly, your clients, like it does, doesn't matter where we're, it doesn't matter what kind of relationship it is, but you just can't genuinely be there. And if you're not authentically there, then it's just, it's not going to be beneficial to you ultimately at the end of the day, and definitely not to whoever you're interacting with. I wholeheartedly agree. It's so difficult sometimes, especially in the low moments to be authentic. Um, I think Mm -hmm. especially as lawyers where we're sort of trained to solve other people's problems, but not necessarily Mm -hmm. show vulnerability or weakness, but that just shift in perspective of the the authenticity and sometimes vulnerability allows for that connection, allows for the growth. Um, And I think that applies definitely in the academic context, but in Mm -hmm. any sort of client services. Yeah. I mean, because, you know, I think that authenticity and transparency and vulnerability to a large extent right, is what facilitates trust and connection. And connection is the the foundation 
to a healthy attorney-client relationship. The places where I've had breakdowns with clients is when there's been a breakdown of trust, right? And, you know, similarly, this is kind of a, um, it's a concept with like younger attorneys and with, um, you know, similarly with, with law students, recognizing that you can be up, you don't need to hide the fact that you're a student attorney, right? You can be upfront about that. And you can be upfront about places where you may not have all the answers for the client. Um, and that is going to build your rapport. Because the question is, it's one thing to say, like, I just don't have the answer. And like, I'm going to throw my hands up and do nothing about it. That's not going to help anybody, right? <laughs> your client's going to be pretty upset about that. It's a different thing to be able to say, like, yeah, I'm owning the fact that I may not know this answer, but I know how to figure it out. And I have the resources and I'm going to go to those resources to figure it out, right? That's where lawyering comes in. And that's where you can do it authentically with, with a client. Because um, the biggest disservice you can do is throw your hands up and just say, I don't know. Hey, I was being genuine. And then do nothing about it or pretend like you know. <laughs> and, and that carries through even if you have many years of practice because we all encounter yes. things that we are, are novel to us, you know, and we have to go and yeah. research and find out. So I think right. that, that carries through even with many, many years of experience under your belt. So yeah. in making your transition from your fellowship to the director position um, at mm -hmm. Pitt, uh, how, what have you learned now in your new role? You shared a little bit about kind of that authenticity, but you know, has there been a mm -hmm. lesson in the same way that you've taken lessons from your other positions now that you've transitioned to your current role? So, I have been now teaching, I successfully have completed my first semester of teaching and directing the clinic on my own. And um, I think this was an amazing culmination of kind of all of the lessons that I've learned because I've um, come to recognize that even during the semester, things are gonna ebb and flow, right? So during the semester was really busy, but I knew that in December, I was gonna take a step back and how I was gonna allocate my time so I could, you know, be home with the kids and play and blah, 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 and, you know, bake things that I don't bake very well. Um, I'm not a baker, not one of those moms. Uh, <laughs> I will build a fort with you, but I will not bake. Um, so, you know, I, I learned, I learned to embrace the ebbs and flows. And I also learned that, how, I learned how to learn. And I, and I applied that. You know, so I recognized that, you know, in order to actually know if something is going to work, I have to actually try it out. And so I did that. I mean, my God, I did that all semester. <laughs> um, but I was authentic with my students about it. You know, I never lied or sugarcoated the fact that I have never practiced in Pennsylvania before. New jurisdiction to me. I was just I just completed my entry into the bar over the summer and then we moved to Pittsburgh. I, I was honest about, you know, using resources because I knew I had to model this idea that I may not have the answer, but I'm going to try to find a way to get the answer. And I was going to um, give things a chance, right? And recognize that after I try it out, you know, hey, I may walk away from a seminar and being like, hmm, I didn't like how the, I phrased that question or that didn't really allow for an engaging discussion. So I made a note of it. I had a whole document of, um, you know, reflections from seminars. Um, 
and from supervisions and things like that. So I, to this, to me, this transition was an application of all of the lessons that I've been building up in my, from my other jobs, right? And all of the lessons that I've been picking up from thinking about how I felt in those other jobs, right? Where did I thrive? Where did I not? Um, and, and the biggest one that I took this semester and applied was being able to own your decisions, right? And being able to own the circumstances. I'm teaching in a new jurisdiction in the middle of a pandemic, moved to a new city and running a clinic for the first time on my own. That's a lot. <laughs> it's not gonna be perfect and that's gonna be fine. Um, and that allowed me to reduce a lot of my stress. Don't get me wrong, I was still nervous before some seminars started and things like that, but I just, I, I owned it. I was like, okay, these are all the things that I have going on and I'll, I'm gonna make the best of it and I'm gonna learn from it and that's it. It sounds like there was a big difference in terms of what you were, how you were able to manage your mind in this position mm -hmm. versus kind of your illegal experiences from the past. Did it feel different just with your thoughts and your emotions as you navigated this new role? Yeah, very much. I mean, I think this position has been kind of the, the culmination for me of a lot of my ebbs and flows and self-confidence and insecurities, you know, I mean, we, we all have them, right? Uh, we try not to own them. <laughs> and that's a part where we, where we struggle in being authentic. But yeah, we have insecurities. We have all, we all have those moments and I've had them in every single one of my jobs. So we're like, you know, I'm just not as good as everybody else here. So maybe I should just not do it. Um, and, you know, I think getting this job and really recognizing that, you know, this time I was going to, I was going to do it different. I have, um, spent too much of my time not being hundred percent comfortable in my own skin. I'm still not, who's, who's going to lie. Who, I mean, I, I envy the people who are 100% comfortable in their own skin. Um, you know, but this was going to be different. And this is going to be a place where, you know, I, the reality of it is that I was given this opportunity. Um, and, you know, people believe in me. And I really have to just finally believe in myself. Um, because if I don't, how am I going to motivate anybody else to do anything? <laughs> you know, and yeah. Is that a struggle to remember that and to constantly believe in myself? Do I still look for external validation like in student feedback? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, but finally, after many, many hard moments of not being able to embrace a learning and a growth mindset, I'm, I'm getting there now. I think yeah. that's that's what we're all striving for, right? That, yeah. that valuing ourselves, owning the strengths that we bring to whatever job we're doing and yeah. giving ourselves a little bit of grace that we're learning, but open to growth as we go. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a lot. It takes a lot to get there. And um, I think that's where, you know, finding, finding good guidance and like 
listening to like these great conversations that you're having on this podcast are extremely valuable or engaging in taking advantage of the opportunities that are going to help you grow. It's easy to stay in our comfort zone. I've been there. I've made those decisions, right? Um, and, you know, I, I've had those moments of, oh, my God, this is not working for me. Like after one L of law school year. Yeah. After one L year of law school, I wanted to quit. <laughs> I did not like it. I mean, I don't know how many people did like it, but <laughs> I don't think anybody likes one L year. <laughs> but I was like, no, I'm done. I'm good. You know, maybe this just isn't it for me. Um, and I had those, I had those moments um, in, a, in a lot of different jobs and a lot of different moments in my career. But I think I'm finally, I'm finally done with it. And my hope is that other people can take less time to be done with those kinds of feelings. Me too. Thank you, Jabeen, for sharing your insight with us and your wisdom. If the listeners want to connect with you, how do they find you? Yeah. Um, so folks are, are free to find me on the Pitt website. Um, I am on the Pitt School of Law. You can find my contact information or you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you can look up my name, Jabeen Adawi, last name spelled A-D-A-W-I. Um, and I'm happy to connect and happy to talk to people more about what I about this journey into clinical teaching. What does it mean? What is it like? Um, and help anyone along the way. Thank you so much for talking with me, Megan. Oh, it was a pleasure. And to everyone listening, thank you for tuning in. And until next week, take care. Lawyer moms, we made it through another episode of the Mom Life and Law podcast. I'm so glad you're here. If today's episode resonated with you, I ask that you share it with another lawyer mom in your life. And if you haven't already done so, please leave a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. Until next week, remember, you are more than enough. You have a superpower that this world needs, and you are the perfect mother to your children, flaws and all. Take care.